0: One uh, columnist in the Sydney Morning Herald on Saturday, um, and I'm guessing she didn't agree entirely with what I was saying, because she said he referred to himself as quite a boring bloke and then set about proving it to us by the speech <laughs> he gave. So I said some words in my head about that lady, and then spent a few hours in prayer to uh, <laughs> uh, to get rid of that. And then that evening, I was speaking at a charity fundraiser for Compassion again in Sydney, and uh, there was a, a an auction for you know prizes, and uh, Rachel wanted to bid on the prize for me for presentation skills training, saying, <laughs> maybe after last week, uh, this is something you might need. So. Um, Thought I'd better throw that one back at you. So if you've never heard me before, um, you might want to kind of get your phone to ring or something, so you've got an excuse to leave. Uh, But I will try not to be too boring, and I will try not to be too long. Right, Matthew 7. And we have people from Essex here. Don't very often have people from Essex here. Friends of Bev's, round of applause for people from Essex. Uh, we're all southerners, right? We're all southerners, so we can unite around. I'm from Surrey. Surrey and Essex people don't always get on terribly well. We were born wearing chinos and a smart blazer. Essex people weren't, but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you're proud of it as well. That's the great thing. Anyway, lovely to have you here. Right, here we go. Matthew chapter seven and verse fifteen. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, and inwardly they are but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. They always give me the uh, easy passages to speak on. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thittles, Thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Okay, right. So, we're going to talk this morning about, we're going to see that there are people who are going to try and lead us astray. There are people who are going to try and influence us. Uh, and But Jesus tells us quite plainly here, you know, by saying a sheep comes dressed as a wolf, uh, th- this was quite a sort of normal story in in those days. This was you know, Aesop's fables had things like this. Th- this is the, uh, you know a picture that was quite often used, and a wolf is nothing like a sheep. Right, so they are actually easy to spot. Right, they're pretending. They're pretending they're a sheep. They're actually a wolf. I think I said a sheep in wolf's clothing, didn't I? I don't think that's the right way around. I think it's supposed to be. A w- is that what I said? What nonsense. A wolf in sheep's clothing, right? A wolf trying to disguise itself as a sheep. You would spot that there was a wolf, right? And Jesus is telling him, by their fruit, you will spot them, right? So we don't need to be worried. We just need to be alert. He's warning us so that we are looking for the right things so that we can spot them. But if we're not looking, and if we we allow them to nibble away at the edges of things, then maybe over time we could be deceived by them, which is why he's warning us. But he's not warning us because this is something like really, really difficult. He's warning us like sheep and wolves are really quite different things and you will be able to spot the difference. So there are people who are going to try and influence us. They are easy to spot as long as we know what we're looking for. We're also going to see that you can't, if there's a choice to be made between pleasing God and pleasing men, you have to please God. And that is, that is the truth. That is what the good shepherd leading the sheep would lead us towards, that we're not out there trying to please men, we're out there trying to please God, doing our best to follow him. And the wolf dressed as a sheep will be trying to get us to please men rather than to please God. And it's kind of quite clever. It's quite, it can be quite subtle. But actually, as long as we remember what's God calling us to, it's actually quite easy to spot when someone's trying to drag you away from it. What else are we going to see? We're going to see that we are not supposed to be mere humans. Uh, Now, this is not calling us to be a people of extreme arrogance. You're all supposed to be at least as humble as I am, (laughs) which is quite humble, incidentally. But so it's not a world of arrogance, but we are not actually supposed to be mere humans. There's a Passage in the Bible we'll talk about that says that. So God is calling us to be a very, very different kind of people, and that is the fruit that we are called to bear, and it's fruit that will last, right? So we're going to get into a bit of that. And if you've decided that really does sound boring, then you've heard the messed bits now, so you may as well go and have your good day. So verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7, watch out for false prophets. So I was kind of thinking, who are these false prophets? Well, clearly false prophets could be people leading things like churches and they could but i don't think they're exclusively that there are other people who could be trying to influence you so lots of people follow people on podcasts lots of people follow social media influences you might follow people at work you might follow within a church family you might have you know people who you turn to and listen to and whatever In any of these places, there could be people who are dressed up as though they are sheep, but they're actually wolves. And so it's important not just that we think about the person who is the leader of the church that we go to, but that we think about the influencers on our life and say, well, am I being influenced away from what is actually truth? And, uh, you know, I used to to go to a church years ago in England where uh, the... There was a period, right? Churches go through bad phases and this one went through a phase where, you know, Sunday lunch, the sort of pudding after Sunday lunch, the, the dessert was kind of taking the pastor apart for what we'd heard on the Sunday morning. You know, it, it can be a terrible thing. The people serving God, serving us, and we're also quick to criticise and to find things against them. I'm glad this church doesn't have that culture. I'm glad, you know, I don't hang around in a church that has that culture. And it's not our job to sit there and hack apart our leaders. It's our job to support them and get behind them and say, we can see that these people are following God and are leading us further towards God and we're going to be with them and stand with them, right? We're not going to hack them apart. But, also, but we need to think as well, not just about the people who are leading our churches, but the other influencers on our, on our life and make sure that they are not leading us down wrong paths or in wrong ways. Matthew 24, 23, and 25 says, again, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So I'm warning you. I'm letting you know this is going to happen. There are going to be people who come along who perform great miracles, great signs and wonders. And when Jesus says in the passage we're looking at in Matthew 7, by their fruit you will know them, clearly it's not enough that they're great miracle-working people. And who doesn't want to see more miracles happening? Who doesn't want to see the dead raised? Who doesn't want to see... You know, wheelchairs thrown away every time we come on a Sunday. Well, you you know, I mean, who doesn't want to see more of that miracle working power of God? We all want to see that. But that on its own is not the fruit that Jesus is talking about. Because actually the enemy is a powerful enemy as well. And the enemy can do things. The enemy can make things happen. So just seeing incredible things happen is not evidence of being God's. Not evidence of being God's people. Not evidence of being the right kind of shepherd. So we need more than signs and wonders but boy do we need signs and wonders right don't anyone take this as a message about saying signs and wonders aren't important jesus says you will do greater things than these that i've done and he did some pretty cool things right i can't think of anything that jesus did that you think there's what there's more that you could do than that but he's actually saying they will do greater things than these so we should be expecting for signs and wonders we should be looking for miracles we should be excited by that prospect and when we see such amazing things happen we should be celebrating them with everything within us someone asked me the other day uh, at work so what kind of church do you go to uh, is it one of these happy clappy ones i think he guessed because of my joyous demeanor that uh, carries <laughs> me around every- and um i said well i suppose you could call it that you know um and he it turned out that this person uh, has two brothers who are church pastors so he said, uh, so what sort of stuff do you believe in then? I said, well, I suppose, you know, like we believe that if God's still alive, why wouldn't we be able to see that? Why wouldn't we be able to experience that? You know, what's the point in a, a God that doesn't actually do anything anymore? That doesn't, to me, seem like the God that the Bible talks about or the God that I've experienced. So we believe God would do things in people's lives. So he said, well, tell me something you've seen then. That's quite confronting, isn't it? Because then you've got you to think of something. <laughs> and I... So I talked for a while. No, I instantly had a... Because this is an amazing story, and I have a story I go back to whenever I'm doubting or whenever I'm sort of thinking, you know, (laughs) really? Um, My mum has a friend called Jenny, uh, and Jenny uh, was a preacher, and she had uh, MS, and she was wheelchair-bound for years and years. And she used to go and speak at uh, conferences, Christian conferences and she'd speak about suffering and she was entitled to do so. Gosh, I thought that's how long I'd been going on. That's how long I've got left, is it? Well, that's good news. <laughs> <laughs> I had to watch for a little while to see it was ticking down, not up. Um, so we've got 48 minutes left. You're good. Um, so anyway, Jenny was speaking at conferences on suffering and she said at one of these things, uh, she used to say, regulate these things, God has told her that he's going to heal her completely, 100%. And years went by and it didn't happen. And she still goes, God has told me it's going to happen. And she's at one of these things. And a woman was there who said to her in the tea break, God's just said to me, today's the day. So Jenny said to her, well, then you better pray for me. And the woman said, well, how can I pray for you? I became a Christian three weeks ago. And there's a conference full of vicars and priests and pastors and whatever. Get one of these to do it. And Jenny said, God's told you, you must be the person. And this woman laid her hands on her, prayed for her, Jenny got up out of her wheelchair, and the wheelchair got thrown away. And years and years and years later, there's been no sign of any remission or whatever. That's probably worth a round of applause for God, I think. <laughs> and, and, and she had the, the stair lift in the house at home and all that stuff, and she had um, benefits from the government to, because she was living with such a bad illness and so on. And she was, she was having to argue with the government, stop paying me these benefits, I no longer have MS. Said, well, that's not possible, Jenny, you must have it. And she was like trying to send back this, cha- this sort of stairlift for the chair, and it took quite a long time to actually stop all the help government was giving. But what an amazing story. And how great that God didn't choose one of the experienced priests. He chose a woman who just turned to him just about three weeks before. And I've met Jenny post uh, that event, so I know it's not... This isn't hearsay. Well, from me to you, it's hearsay. But, you know, I've actually met Jenny. I met her when she was ill, and I met her when she was healed, and it's amazing. And uh, she wrote a book dedicated to one of her good friends, my mum's sons. Not me, sadly. (laughs) Um, But anyway, I'm over it, and I still tell her story. (laughs) But we should be excited by signs and wonders and miracles, right? But that on its own is not enough fruit. Because God's actually interested in a different kind of fruit. God is so interested in seeing people set free from sickness. But God's looking for a different kind of fruit. And this is the fruit by which uh, people will know that we're his. So, let's have a look at John 10, 11 to 15. The contrast between the good shepherd, the hired hand, you know, the hired hand, when he sees the wolf coming, runs away. And what's the wolf trying to do? Scatter the sheep. Well, he wants to capture one of them, doesn't he? But the technique is to scatter them, to get them scared, to get them running away. And the good shepherd is the one that draws them in and keeps them to himself and looks after them and lays down his life for them. This is fruit. This is the stuff that Jesus really cares about. And that doesn't mean he doesn't care about the miracles. He died that we could have his Holy Spirit in us for miracle working power. But he died also that we might display the fruit of the Holy Spirit, this softness. This, you know, there's a softness and a gentleness to the fruit of the Spirit, which is really what would separate God's people out, separate them apart and demonstrate to the world, that's the fruit that I care about. And not a fruit that says... And we do this nice, soft, mushy stuff, but we're not interested in raising the dead. No, no, no. That we're interested in seeing the sick, healed, and the dead raised because of the compassion and the love that we have for people. Because that's the fruit by which God's people will be known. In um, Luke 6 and 26... Jesus speaking again. He says, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, because that's how the false prophets were treated. So if the fruit that a true prophet would be recognized by is that love, joy, peace, patience, fruit of the spirit thing, that fruit that keeps people together, that that protects people, even lays down their life for people if that's the fruit the kind of prophet the kind of attitude the kind of desire of prophet that's false is this attitude here that they're wanting people to speak well of them woe to you when everyone speaks well of you for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets isn't it great when people speak well of you isn't it great when, you know, you have a reputation that everyone looks to and says, that person, great person. And you're, it's, it's, not bad, it's not bad to say to people, I really appreciate you, I really respect That's fruit, saying that to people. But if my desire is that the world would look well, as, well at me and say great things about me, this is a mark of a false prophet. And I'm glad to be part of a church family that points people to Jesus rather than pointing people to other people. But we, you know, that's false prophets want to be known to be good, want to be known to be, want people to look up to them, want people to speak well of them. True prophets point people to Jesus. Galatians 1 and 6 to 10. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion And are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. There is only one gospel. There's only one truth. And, you know, a a true prophet is pointing people to that one truth. A false prophet is distorting that truth. is taking away some of that truth. And as it says here, um, trying to win the approval of human beings. You know, it's really hard to win the approval of human beings if you're sticking to the absolute line of the gospel, right? I mean, the cross, what Jesus did on the cross is referred as a stumbling block, right? There are those academically, intellectually, in whatever way, who will find what Jesus did on the cross a stumbling block to them, and they, uh, they just can't cross that. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to do a work of salvation in us. Because this is not just an intellectual exercise. So if we dilute, and churches do, and it's tragic, if we dilute that message of the cross, as though, well, actually, that's a bit confronting for people. The need for a saviour is a bit confronting for people. Or the belief in God made man dying for us so that we can have access to God. That's all a bit kind of difficult. So let's just talk about some nicer things. If, if we dilute that bit of the message, let there be no doubt, you know that's not the gospel. That's false prophecy. And if you look at the church that we're a part of, the movement we're a part of, no one could ever say there's any, any tiny, tiny aspect of dilution on the one way to the Father is through faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. That is the truth of the gospel. It's not fashionable, you know. And and there would be people in my profession, people in the world that I work in, who, you know, they, they would think I'm nuts to talk this stuff. But I'm not trying to win their approval. There's only God's approval that fundamentally actually matters. But this isn't just for the vicar. I, I call him the vicar, bless him, uh, the pastor, the leader, him, right? <laughs> this is for all of us. That actually, uh, you know, in in the Old Testament, uh, there was a priesthood that sort of intervened between the people and God. And if you if you if you've ever wondered why in our sort of church movement we don't talk about priests, it's because we now all are. I said to Rachel the other day, "Do you remember I did a great sermon on that one day about?" Um, You know, about the priesthood. She said, no. Interesting. Um, (laughs) And I know she was here, because I had my eye on her. I know she was here. But anyway. But the Bible talks about us now being the priesthood. It's not the vicars. It's us. We are the priesthood. We don't need someone to connect us to God. And so actually we are, therefore, and we have the opportunity to be the prophets. And that is actually our job when jesus speaks to his disciples he, you know he may, he, you know and says go and make disciples of all nations you know that's our job that's the great commission for all of us and so if we're following a philosophy that's sort of christian ish but not christian then that's nonsense someone said to Rachel and I last week i'm a christian and i said oh great what church do you go to well i don't go to church i'm not like, oh, interesting uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I sort of believe in one sort of universal kind of faith. And, and the more he talked, the more it was clear that actually that's not being a Christian. And, and so Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was a great human being. Jesus was a great philosopher. Jesus did challenge, his, challenge people's thinking in a way uh, that had never been seen before and has never been seen since, despite social media and all the, the things that go with that. But Jesus was so much more than that. He was God-made man who went to the cross to die for us as the only way that we could be connected to the Father. And anything else, anyone trying to dilute that down is a false prophet. And you won't hear that on this platform, and you won't hear that on any C3 platform. Um, And that's why I'm proud to be a part of it. But let's look at that fruit. In John fifteen one to 4. The reason I'm doing this false prophet and fruit thing is because I'm trying to make the point that in the passage where Jesus was speaking on the mountain, <coughs> he was warning them against false prophets and saying you'll know them by their fruit. But then in other passages of Jesus and in other writings in the New Testament, that f- it's made clear that we are to display that fruit also, right? So the same, you know, the same thing, the, the fruit that we're all supposed to display must be displayed by those who would prophesy over us, and otherwise they're false prophets. But we can't let ourselves off with just saying, as long as the vicar's got it right, that's all Jesus is talking about here, because he's actually talking about all of us who should be displaying that fruit. Amen. So John chapter, what did I say? 15. So in the, in the Sermon on the Mount passage, he talks about, um, you know, the, the tree, a bad tree can't bear good fruit and so on and, and expands on that here and actually says, how do you become a fruitful branch in this tree? It's remaining in him. Because fundamentally, actually what Jesus, all the while, all of his teaching, Jesus is about relationship between him and us, between us and each other. And what he desires above anything else is relationship between him and us. And he says remain in me and i will remain in you the kind of old-fashioned versions of the bible i grew up with because i'm quite old 53 53 who'd have thought and look uh but i grew up it didn't say uh remain it said abide he said if you abide in me and i abide in you i kind of like that that's a bit of a it's a fuller word isn't it To 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 live with each other is what it means there's another passage where jesus says Uh, I and the Father will come to you and make our home with you. This isn't some God that gave the Ten Commandments and then left the people forever with the Ten Commandments and there was no more connection between God and man. This is the God that says, I actually want to set up home with you. I want us to abide with each other. And that is the only way you can bear fruit, fruit that will last. Uh, It goes on to say, "'I am the vine, you are the branches. "'If you remain in me and I in you, "'you will bear much fruit. "'Apart from me, you can do nothing. "'If you do not remain in me, "'you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. "'Such branches are picked up "'and thrown into the fire and burned. "'If you remain in me and my words remain in you, "'ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. "'This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, "'showing yourselves to be my disciples.'" you know you may ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit like we love taking these verses out of context don't we um well we probably don't admit that we do t- trust me i'm telling you that's what you do <laughs> but the context of this is that we're remaining in him that we are abiding with him and him abiding with us and that we that god is giving us all these things we we're asking for because these are the things that will lead to fruit and that's what glorifies god And if you want to live the most wonderful life that you can live, the life that's truly life, as it says in Timothy, if you want to live that life in all its abundance, it's a life that's bearing fruit for him. And there is only one way to bear fruit with him, and that is to abide in him and for him to abide in you. So there is no other gospel. That passage in Galatians that said, you know, I'm astonished that you're turning away from the gospel I gave you so soon to something that actually isn't a gospel, something that actually isn't good news. There is only one profoundly bit of good news, and that is that Jesus, his God-made man, went to the cross to die for us, that we can be connected with God, that we can abide with him and he with us, and as a result of that, that we will bear much fruit. Now, it says if you're not bearing fruit, the branch is going to be cut off and burned. So if there's been no fruit in your life, and fruit isn't raising the dead, right? So if you're saying I haven't raised the dead this week, then uh, you know, am, am I? You know, is something wrong in my life? Right? There aren't actually that many people who go around raising the dead, but there's gonna be a lot of people. You're, some of you are looking, some of you taking notes. I will write that down. That's very profound. <laughs> it's probably something you already knew. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't believe for such amazing miracles, because Jesus says you'll see even greater things than these, even greater things than I've done but the fruit is that evidence that he is living in us and and we are abiding with him and is that fruit of the Holy Spirit that that the New Testament talks about. And that actually fundamentally, I I, I believe the more we are abiding with him and the more we are displaying that fruit, that character, that life, the life that's truly life, that's connected with God, how will miracles not be happening as a result of that? I can remember uh, uh, a time in my career when... um, I was living in New Zealand and I had to go into a meeting and I had chief executives of all the insurers in New Zealand waiting to meet with me and I was going to explain to them um, how I was going to help them solve the problem they had post the earthquake in Canterbury where it was really difficult to get the houses rebuilt in time and you had I think 100,000 houses were damaged and so on and so forth, The vast number anyway, whatever it was. And an hour before going into that meeting, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to say. <laughs> and, um, and I'd done everything else, you know, I'd read and I'd done all those things. And then I just thought, well, there's nothing for it. I'm going to have to try prayer. How many times have we been in this situation? Like, if only we did that bit first, it would probably make life so much diffi- easier, wouldn't it? And I, I remember sitting there and praying, God, I have no idea what I'm going to say. I need you to give me something. And um, I got nothing, right? Another half hour went by, nothing. And then with about five minutes to go before I went in, like a light bulb going on, I got the answer. And it wasn't an answer that I could have read in a book or anything like that. It was a word of knowledge that God gave me for that situation. And I walked into that meeting purely trusting. I was praying more than I was speaking. And I walked away with a deal for my company that, Um, I was flying back to Auckland from Christchurch thinking, what just happened there? But that should be our experience in life, I think. Because if we're actually putting our focus onto abiding in him and him and us, remaining with each other in that way, spending that time, you know, he says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Like If we put more of the emphasis onto that bit, we would be getting these words of knowledge, these prophecies, these miracles would be happening much more often. And we've got this thing, this kind of, it's, uh, you know, faith's about mind over matter. If I believe for it enough, then that's faith. And I'm like, well, (laughs) really? Why not just abide in him and he in you and allow him to put the things of faith into your mind so that you can exercise them? You speeded that up? No? That's still getting the same speed? All right, okay. last scripture uh, for a while, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 3 and 4. No one can say you don't get a lot of Bible when I'm on, can you? It's because I've fundamentally got nothing worth saying. It's just I read verses to you and we kind of put them together in some kind of order. You didn't have to agree with that point, by the way. (laughs) Some of you did, which is a bit disappointing. So 1 Corinthians 3 says this, Um, are you not acting like mere humans? But this is 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 3. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Two things here. The leaders, put it, the leaders don't want people saying, I follow that leader. Because that's kind of false prophet nonsense. Yeah. We're not doing that. But people saying, I follow that leader. He's saying to them, you're behaving like mere humans. Mm-hmm. So the The point i want to make here is not just that the following people rather than following god is a bad thing to do but also we are not supposed to be mere humans the fact that paul says well that's the kind of thing a mere human would do we're not mere humans we're people saved by what jesus did on the cross and that should mean that we don't do things that mere humans do but we have to we can't go around saying i'm not a mere human don't you know that's probably not the way to do it but there should be something within us that says god has called me out to not just be a mere human i don't just need to rely on physical science and chemistry and maths and psychology and sociology and whatever otherology that tells me what to do because actually i'm not a mere human being i'm connected to god jesus abides in me the father has come with the son and chosen to make their home with me i'm not a mere human being right so what have we heard what has jesus been telling us this morning number one he's warning us that false prophets will try and lead us away that was the bit band where i'm because they said don't say the bit about calling the band up say that bit and they'll come up so there you go (laughs) that worked ever so smoothly didn't it (laughs) we should try that again another time so apologies i probably didn't make that very clear uh so what is jesus telling us number one he is warning us that false prophets will try to lead us away that the wolf will come and try and scatter us to try and destroy us to try and pick us off and number two he's telling us that they'll be easy to easy to spot as long as we remember that a false prophet tries to please men rather than tries to please god and tries to dilute the true gospel right so we don't want to be following people who are doing that but we don't need to worry because they're easy to spot as long as we remain focused on God he's saying that he chose us to do amazing things to bear fruit that will last he's telling us that miracles alone even raising the dead are not evidence of the fruit they're not the fruit but they're great things but that on its own isn't good enough he's telling us that real fruit only comes from remaining or abiding in him and him and us I kind of glossed over it, but he also told us we may need pruning to carry on bearing grapefruit. Do you want to live the kind of life where you are bearing so much fruit for him that, you know, y- you're just, it's, the fruit's just growing all the time? The only way for that to happen is to keep being pruned. So from time to time, you'll be sent down to Sydney to do a job that's not as much fun as the one you just had. And he's telling us that if we remain in him, he will give us what we ask to make us more fruitful and thereby to bring glory to God. So I want you to just reflect how fruitful is your life. How much would it be evident to people that Jesus is living in you and and you are abiding in him? What impact is it having on the world that he has placed you in? Because he's called you to bear fruit and fruit that will last. And I want you to think, if I'm not meant to be a mere human, what, you know, what am I meant to be? And, and would that be obvious to other people that I'm not a mere human? Because it should be. I'm just going to this, read this last scripture, Philippians 2 and 15 favorite scriptures. I'll just read slightly before that. It says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly shine among them like stars in the sky so we're not meant to be mere humans we're meant to shine like stars in the sky so let's just let's stand before God and just reflect briefly and I don't know if uh, if you're feeling that there's not been much fruit lately or you're feeling that that feeling that he's abiding in you and you're abiding in him well you don't feel like you're shining like a star at the moment but you know you can because all you actually have to do is abide in him remain in him Um, which intellectually is simple but in practice it's something we have to keep practicing day after day after day so I think let's let's just pause ask yourself what is God saying to you the fruit in your life, about the extent to which you're remaining in him and he in you. And let's ask him to give us a picture of what would it look like when I'm shining like a star in the sky, when I'm bearing the fruit he's called me to bear, when I'm being the person he. I thank you that you desire that we are living, remaining, abiding in you, in Jesus, and He in us. I thank you that you've called us to incredible lives that bear much fruit for you. And I pray for each person here this morning that you would reveal areas in our lives where we need to bear more fruit for you. Areas in our lives where close to you as we should be. And I ask, Father, for transforming, miraculous, amazing power that would send us from this place as different people, as people changed from glory into glory as we grow closer and